hello at the podium listeners and a huge shout out to so many of our new listeners and followers in the last couple of weeks. We've got some great new interviews with Manny coming soon. This week, we wanted to re-release our most downloaded and most listened to episode of all time. It's our episode with mental performance coach, Lauren Johnson. Whether this is your first time hearing the episode or you've heard it before, grab a notepad because this is filled with tons of great information and knowledge from Lauren on how to train your mind like a professional athlete. Here's the episode. Sometimes it means being the best coworker, the best friend, the best fill in the blank. And to me, that's what life is. Life is being your best and being fulfilled and knowing that you are enough. All right, so it is Thursday, April 22nd of 2021. And I cannot, cannot miss the opportunity to say happy 45th birthday to my older brother, Alex Amesqua, the absolute anchor of the Amesqua tribe uh, growing up in the, the the area of Chicago and eventually Hammond, Indiana. Dude, I love you. You're my big bro. Uh, always setting a good example, at least 90% of the time setting a good example. Happy birthday, big brother, Alex. I have one of the most special guests uh, as we celebrate my brother Alex's birthday. And, and I will tell you, I think Chad and I were talking about this. We've done about 40 episodes of Vision, Hustle, Grit, and Gratitude podcast since we kicked this off late in 2020. And Lauren Johnson, the Lauren Johnson, is the first guest I've ever hosted that I do not have a long-term relationship Gang, let me tell you, you are in store for something super special today. Lauren Johnson, previous to her most recent venture, served as the New York Yankees mental performance coach. I think they called it, uh, what was it, conditioning coordinator, but the mental performance coach for the New York Yankees, four years doing that. And then most recently, about a half year ago, went out on her own and launched Lauren Johnson and Company. She is a mental performance coach and speaker. And if you did not know Lauren prior to today, I'm glad you're with us and listening uh, to the conversation we're having today. Lauren, I'm so excited that you're with us today. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Like I said before, uh, I was so excited when you reached out to me because I've seen some of your previous episodes on your podcast. I love the stuff you put out on LinkedIn. So um, I was so excited when you asked me and a uh, really quick shout out to your brother. Happy birthday, Alex. I hope you have the best day. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. So I, I you know, you probably know, um, but the voicemail on my cell phone asks everybody three questions. And it clearly says, if you don't answer these three questions, I'm going to be incapable of returning your call. And so I ask every guest these three questions, favorite color. Blue. But it changes. No, I just love it that it's blue. I we love we're obsessed about blue in the great state of Michigan. Uh, favorite afternoon snack? String cheese. Awesome. <laughs> favorite childhood superhero? Mm. She was a superhero to me, Mia Ham. Oh man! Oh my gosh! My Ava, my thirteen-year-old Ava, is a soccer aficionado. I mean, she is just obsessed about soccer. I love that you said Mia Ham. That's so great. So tell me, favorite Mia Ham memory? Ooh, that's hard. Probably. Well, why why Mia Ham then? I should say there's two. Okay. Um, two because Mia Ham was one of the first soccer. Mia Ham and Julie Foudy were my first like favorite players growing up. Um, I think just because of their grittiness and like, they weren't, they weren't afraid when they went into the game, like they weren't afraid. And to me, I was somebody who I wasn't afraid to get hit. I wasn't afraid to get hurt. I wasn't afraid to, you know, go hard. I mean, maybe too much when I was little, but I loved it. And so I think that, uh, that was kind of what drew me to them and their willingness to take risks and, you know, step outside the mold. And, for me, so obviously watching, you know, the Women's World Cup in the 90s was probably one of my favorite memories as a kid. But actually another memory of mine is I went to watch, it was at Sandy USD, at University of San Diego, and Mia Hamm's college team 
or yeah, was playing Julie Foudy's. And I, we got tickets to go. And I was so upset because the day before Mia Hamm actually got a knee injury and she couldn't play. And however, I got to watch Julie Foudy and it was amazing. But I think just some of those memories, uh, they just bring me back to why I fell in love with soccer in the first place. And I had these incredible women to look up to that weren't afraid to get after it. And so they were, they were kind of who I looked up to on the field and who I wanted to become. I love it. What position did you play? Uh, center mid in college and center back all up until then. Oh my goodness. A- uh, my Ava plays center back. Oh, I love it. Yeah, love that's it. incredible. Thanks for sharing that. So, so, um, so I, you know, we've become fanatical about you in the state of Michigan and, and obviously I, I, you know, including Chad, you know, we tell the world about you and we hope that folks follow you, especially on LinkedIn, the content is incredible. And it's, it, to me, it's just so applicable to, to not just business, but to your personal life. And I think that's what resonates most with me, you know, being a work in progress, right? You're chasing your, your, the vision you have for your life and you're trying to do it the right way in a noble way that you're the rising tide that lifts all boats where you bring others up with you. You talk a lot about mental toughness. And I love that. I think the world's grit tank is running on fumes. Tell me what, how do you define mental toughness and how do you build that? If you think you're low on it, how do you build that in yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I think mental toughness gets defined wrong quite often. Tell um, us about think, that. You know, I think that toughness, right? A lot of us interpret that as if you're mentally tough, you can't show your weaknesses. You can't, you know, be, be present or, or acknowledge negativity. You can't, you just got to push through, you know, whatever. It's like, I think it's one of the areas that, you know, people like me and in sports psychology and other areas kind of get dinged for, because it's like constantly push, keep going, let's go grit. But that's not what mental toughness is. Mental toughness is not ignoring your problems. It's not ignoring difficult. It's not running from fear or pretending it doesn't exist. It's facing our reality. And it's learning to process how we think and feel in a way that maintains a high level of performance. And so to me, building mental toughness has everything to do with how we process. It's our processing power. And we all have this process, we all process, like we're born with the process but it's our default setting. And the default setting is not always helpful, right? You know, our brain is wired to protect us, but sometimes it's there to protect us when we don't need protecting. Sometimes it labels us and limits us. Sometimes it alerts us that fear is present and to step away. And so I think that mental toughness is designing the way that we think the way that we process, the way that we respond in a way that's able to maintain a high level performance, no matter the circumstance, whether your circumstances are good, whether circumstances are not good and everything in between. You know, I've never thought, <laughs> how do you have this on video? I've not seen this video explaining that it's the way we process it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or the sort of processing center or mechanism inside of us. How much do you think, I'm thinking back, you, 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 you took me right back to my childhood okay. and, you know, my folks raised four boys. I'm the third of four. And, and there, I, I often think, oh man, that's, that's because that, that, that's how I grew up. And, and I'm not, not to make it an excuse, but sometimes I can truly connect my adult limitations with sort of biases or, or, or mindsets that were instilled in me as a child. Mm -hmm. How much do you think that impacts our processing center that you're referencing? Oh, a lot. You know, there's this one thing, um, I I call it our survival mechanisms. And I'm sure there's a much more uh, (laughs) credible term uh, in psychology than that. But all of us have things that happen to us in our lives. Now, I'll give you a really good example of this. I was working with an athlete um, several years ago. And when I was working at the Yankees, and by the way, I knew every single guy, like in, in the, all of our staff members did, 
we were pretty close and pretty much if a new guy that did not, that was new to our system walked in, every single one of us knew it. It was either we got him in a trade or, you know, he was a new draft, you know, whatever it is we could tell. Right. So I took pride in knowing my players pretty darn well. And if ever there was uh, a lack of relationship, I always looked at myself first. What can I do to improve that relationship? And so I went to one of our affiliates and one of our guys was a little bit standoffish. And um, anytime I, so to me, I was like, okay, I need to build that relationship. So that was my goal. I was going to spend that time. Well, about, you know, halfway through, I just, he just we did, was not having it. Like anytime I'd have a conversation with him, it was like one or two word answers. And I thought it was interesting. And so I, I was a, a little bit worried, you know, being, you know, as humans, we can be a little bit like, you know, uh, self-centered and think, oh, well, I did something. What did I do? And right. that's exactly where my mind went. I was like, oh man, I hope I didn't say anything to offend him. And so a couple of days go by and uh, I, I walked to, you know, the cages just for a game and he's there hitting early by himself. And I mean, it probably his worst nightmare. <laughs> and I walk right up to him and I'm like, Hey, can I ask you a question? And he's like, sure. Is it, have I said something to like, you know, offend you or something? Cause I, I just felt like a, the last couple of days when I tried to have a conversation, you know, um, it, you were just very short with me. And I just want to make sure, like, I haven't said anything to, um, to upset you. And he goes, no, that's not it. And so we, we meet later cause it was about game, to be game time. So not the time, but we met later to discuss this. And he said, I'm not a good speaker. And I was like, what? And he goes, I don't think I speak very well. And I was like, what made you believe that? And he sat there and he couldn't remember. And I said, I want you to think back. When was the first time you ever heard that? And he goes, it's probably in like first or second grade. Wow. I was asked to read something out loud. And my teacher told me, I stuttered a lot that I wasn't very good at speaking. And so like, let's just stop there for a second. When we're kids, one of our needs is to fit in. I mean, that's just, that's not just a kid thing. That's an adult thing. That's an, that's a human thing, right? It's a connection. We want to fit in. And so his survival mechanism that he built up was his belief was that he wasn't a good speaker. And so he survived by just not speaking. And it became something that worked for him. And so there's this belief and it gets solidified and supported every time we live that belief. I'm not a good speaker, belief, therefore I don't speak. Every time he doesn't speak, he solidifies it. That's right. That's right. And it became this identity. And so I think a lot of times we have these, right? Where something happens to us in childhood, something said to us, and we learn how to survive it. And it becomes this habit. Our brain recognizes it and goes, we don't want that to happen again. Okay, this is what works. That's what we're going to repeat. And again, it's there to protect us. But sometimes what we know is maybe that worked in second grade. You know, maybe that was okay in second grade. And I would even argue, maybe not. But at the same time, when we get to adulthood, we have to like think about, I think the process of learning and growing is also a process of unlearning, not just learning. And so, uh, you know, when you say that, it does have an impact, that's for sure. And it takes first being aware of it. Because if we're not aware, how can you change it? So we first have to kind of be aware of these patterns that are maybe working against us. So <laughs> that's such a great story. That's such a great story. And it's, it's crazy to think you know, your clients and your sort of mentees are these multi-million dollar a year income earning 20 something year olds. And, 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 and society, you know, we're, we've got them all as like bronze statues and they go through the same things we're going through. Right. It, so I think about how much that's a reflection of the people in our lives. And you and I briefly touched on this before we got on uh, on our conversation today is you know the, the different commentary that we've each made around who we surround ourselves. Tell me a little bit about uh, maybe some of the mentoring, the teaching and coaching you do around that topic, ensuring that people are surrounding themselves with the best people to achieve their maximum potential in life. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, it's super interesting. There's kind of like a two part to this and I have to credit my good friend, Justin Sua for it because, uh, he kind of, he's really good at thinking in opposites. So this is one of the things that I've, I've really thought about in terms of who you surround yourself with, that there's kind of two sides to it. And I think the first one is one that we're really familiar with, which is being careful who you surround yourself with. And uh, there's a great analogy he uses about, uh, you know, fountains and drains and that, there are people in our lives that you, we all have them that, you know, when your phone rings and it's that person that you're like, Oh no, I do not want to answer this call. Like, Oh, I'm busy. You know, then that what is what I would call a drain. Somebody that like you get off the phone with them or you, you finish being around them and you just feel exhausted. Like all the energy has been sucked out of you. And then there are those people that are fountains in our lives. And those are the people that when you have a great moment or you need some advice that when you call them, like those are the people you call, you pick up the phone and you call them and they leave you better than you started. And you you leave and you have so much more energy. You're better from being around them. Those are fountains. And so I think that's one way to look at it, right? Is that we have to audit our surroundings. We have to, we have to look at everybody that's around us and go, okay, who's a fountain and who's a drain. And The answer isn't always cutting people out. Although I think that there are people that deserve to be like, okay, we need to cut that person out of our life, you know? Um, But I also think another strategy is changing our proximity is Hmm. that sometimes it doesn't always have to be, you know, that person's cut out. Sometimes we can't cut them out. Sometimes, you know, they may be somebody close to us that like, that's not somebody we can cut out. That's like, you know, I love my brother and that's, you know, let's say like my, you know, your brother's girlfriend or, Hey, I, I love my cousin and that's my cousin's husband, you know, whatever it is. Like sometimes that's not an option. And I would say that if it's not an option, change your proximity. So instead of spending so much time so close to them, you know, just space it out you know, changing your proximity rather than, you know, cutting them out completely. So that's one strategy um, is identifying who are the fountains and who are the drains. And then there's this other way of looking at it. And there was this really great story I heard. I can't remember who said it, but they were saying that they were sitting at a, at a table out at a restaurant. And one of the things James Clear actually said is that the easiest way to adopt a habit is to join a group who already has that habit adopted. And so for instance, you're sitting at a dinner table and the waitress comes around and says, who wants dessert? And the first person says, oh, no, thank you. I'm okay. The next person says, no, thank you. I'm okay. Then it comes to you. Most likely you're going to be more inclined and more motivated to say, that's okay. I'm good. When you're surrounded in a group that has those exact same habits, and maybe the habits are, you know, eating healthier and or cutting out sugar, you know, whatever that looks like. And so one way is to look at your, your group and go, okay, do they have the habits that support the lifestyle I want or do that support my goals? And then there's another way of thinking of it. And this is where my good friend, Justin challenged me. And I loved it because Yes, we want to be surrounded by people that adopt our same habits, but then there's a benefit to being around people that challenge them, that don't go with the steps quo, that aren't afraid to question, that aren't afraid to say, okay, but have you thought about it this way? Because it challenges our perspectives. And so often it is our, it is normal as a human to gravitate towards people who think like you, but what could you imagine if you also added in some people that didn't and that were willing to challenge you and that were willing to upgrade your thinking and that were willing to make you really think about what you've been thinking of, like that question you that aren't afraid to say those things. And so for me, that's one of the things I've really enjoyed is kind of this challenge of, okay, but why do you think that? Not just, okay, that's what you think, but why, what's the evidence? And so it helps you to think differently. And so one of the things I've been doing is I've been looking into other areas of specialties. And so it's, you know, if you, how do you think like a scientist? And Justin also said, uh, how do you, uh, how do you storytell like a movie producer? And so you're looking at all these different areas instead of just looking in mental conditioning, sports psychology, you're challenging your view by looking into different domains. You, um, you made me um, you made me think of a show 
that my friend John Fort has on CNBC. And I was trying to find it and I can't remember the name of it exactly, but it's where he, uh, he selects a topic and then he provides both perspectives. Yes. And there's so much more learning by understanding both. Could not agree more. And I'm, I think the more we learn and I'm speaking for myself. Yes. The more I learn how much I don't know. Yeah. And so to be so stuck in like, this is what I'm doing. I'm only going to surround myself with like-minded people. And I'm only, you know, I think that it can be really limiting. Right. So I think that there's two sides of it. It's not only, it's not only, okay, if you want to adopt a new habit, be around people that have those habits, it's great. Have those same drive, have those same goals. But then also who are you, who's challenging you on that? Who's, because I do think it helps us point on our blind spots and we all have them. We all have blind spots, right? And so I think that is a, it's a really good way to challenge those. Well, so so that takes me right into this infinite, uh, this like never ending battle between positivity and negativity, right? And you And you speak on this. And so talk to us about the power of positivity in comparison to the power of negativity and being aware of that. Yeah, so I think that there's a place for both. And you'll, you know, I think that there's the um, very general way of looking and there is, uh, which is, you know, positivity only. <laughs> and now there's, there's so much science behind positivity and the fact that it works. You know, there's so much behind it. And there's also a lot of, of um, science behind, you know, constantly beating up on yourself doesn't work. So I can understand why we kind of generalize and say, let's be positive and not be negative, but that would be great if we were robots. That would be great if we can program ourselves to only think one way and not the other, but that's not how our life works. That's not reality. At least that's not my reality because when I don't do well, or when I'm struggling, I'm not going, wow, what a, oh, I'm so happy. This is great. I'm not like, thanking the universe for this, right? It's just, and it's so inauthentic that it doesn't work for me. And you know what, I'll tell you, it doesn't work for a lot of my athletes either. And so I think that there's a place for it. Negativity isn't the problem. Believing negative, negative thoughts is. And so I think that where negativity has a place is that number one, don't try and like spend all your time stopping it because you're going to be wasting a ton of your time. You're never going to be able to shut that off. It's, it's, it's there, it's wired, and there's some benefits to it as well. And so I'll tell you what the benefits are of negative thinking. Is number one, the benefit of negative thinking is that our negative thoughts are data points and we can choose how we interpret them. And so the cool thing about negativity is it can definitely like spark our interest in to, to explore it a little bit further. And so one way that I love to use it is to think through what ifs. A lot of people, especially when they're going into a situation where they really care, we feel a lot of pressure and it's normal for our brain to go to the negative. Well, what if I don't make the team? What if I don't get that deal? What if I don't get that job? What if I mess up? What if my PowerPoint yeah. presentation doesn't work? And I love those things because what we can do now is we can create a plan for if those things happen. And so when people are going into big situations, we, we consistently, many times, only think of what we want to go right. Oftentimes we neglect to think about what could go wrong. Hmm. And when we think about what could go wrong, we can then devise a plan to combat it. And so we can call, we call them contingency plannings. So first it's, it's mental contrasting, right? So there's these two, it's like a one, two punch is we can mentally contrast what we want to have happen versus what we don't want to have happen or what could potentially happen. Then we can create these contingency plans by going, okay, if my PowerPoint presentation isn't working, then I'm going to be prepared to pass out hard copies. You know, if... We, if I, I don't make the team, then I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank. And so what happens is we're creating this plan in our mind and our mind now feels prepared to handle it if it happens. And our mind loves this because it loves to create plans of attack. And now it's only job is to execute. So in the middle of it, where we're panicking and all the emotions there and it's present, we don't always make the best decisions. 
And so a great way to handle difficult situations is to handle them before they become difficult. And so that's one way that we can use negative thinking to our advantage. How, how do you, um, so I, I think about how valuable it's been to me uh, in my limited athletic career through college and then my business career since then, but how powerful it's been to me to bring others into the vision I have for what I or we can achieve and accomplish together. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about that because I'm also thinking about how often those closest to us are the strongest conduits of negativity into what we believe we can achieve. Can you, can you share maybe a, a story or two or an example of how you've worked with some of your athletes and now clients across the country around that? Because I have to believe that has been a reality for all of us, whether we only played sports through high school, through college, professionally, or it's because of business experiences, et cetera. Well, two pieces. So number one, outside sources, right? Thinking about people closest to us that may, you know, especially think about people that are doing things that are a little bit outside the box, you know, whether it's a professional athlete or oh, otherwise, you know, sure. my, my husband's a professional golfer and I can't tell you the amount of people that have come up to us and been like, so when is he going to get a real job? And it cracks me up every time. I'm like, that is his real job. And they're not saying it because they don't love him or me. They're actually saying it because they do. And to them, uh. this is how they protect and keep us safe. But what they don't understand is that safety isn't something that we desire. Safety, I would rather, I would rather live a life. And this is just me. I'm not speaking for anybody else because some people that's super important to them to have yeah. the, the financial stability in any way. You totally get it. Yeah. For me and for my husband, it's more important for us to live a life that at the end of the day, we go, we took every chance we could. Yeah. We took all those risks. We did those things we wanted to do. Whether we win or we lose, that's the kind of life we want to live. And that's important to us. And so for me, it's so important to understand that it's nobody else's journey. It's nobody else's goal, but yours. They don't need to understand it. You do. And so, and to understand the perspective of that, it's not because they don't love you. It's oftentimes they do. And if people are being extremely critical to be mean, that says a lot more about them than you. Um, and so that's important to me. Sorry, were you going to say something? Because I no, saw no, you I, that, up when I said that. No, that, that really resonated with me is that, you know, we often... Um, it's difficult to, to maybe acknowledge in the moment, but in that moment of like really uh, aggressive criticism mm -hmm. from someone you care about and you believe cares about you, it's difficult to really be able to empathize with maybe what they've been through that leaves them in a position to think that that's appropriate, right? And it has nothing to do, so often has nothing to do with us. But yeah. I just, I thought that was such a powerful comment you just made. Is it, can you share more on that at all? I mean, just from, from your teachings and, 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 and what you know? Well, I, I guess from my perspective is that, you know, there's a, the best, um, you know, I, I, my, my favorite quote, and of course I, I don't know it by heart, but is uh, the, the uh, man in the arena by Theodore Roosevelt. Oh. The man in the arena. And the fact that there's only a couple positions on the field yeah. So many in the crowd. And a lot of times we give people a front seat ticket that really don't deserve, but to be in the nosebleeds. And, you know, I always think about this in terms of like a volume, like in a mic. And I, I read this actually in a book by um, Jamie Kern Lee. She's a founder of eight cosmetics. She talks about this and how, you know, we can't control anybody else's opinions or what they say but we can't control the volume of the mic and the mic that they have in our life. Yeah. And so there are some people, man, turn it, turn that mic up. Like those are the tracks we want to keep hearing. Those are the things that we want to keep feeding ourselves. And then there are some people that we need to turn down. 
And I think that we give power to what we focus on. And so when we're focusing all the time on all this negative and we're, we're giving it power. And I've had so many instances of this in my life where I gave power to people for way too long. And then I, I, I just had to switch the power cord and put it into somebody else's mind and go, that's what I want to be hearing. And so John Gordon actually has a great story. And I, of course I'm going to, oh, did not forget his, uh, of uh, Dr. James Gills. And I may botch this story, but Dr. James Gills was doing, I think it was called a double triathlon where he did a triathlon and then the next or 48 hours later, he did another one. And he was in his late fifties. And I think he was one of the oldest people to do, to do this. And John Gordon asked him, how did you do it? And he said, simple, really. He said, I learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, when I talk to myself, I hear all the negativity. I hear all the, th- the reasons why you can't do it. Yes. But when I talk to myself, yeah. I feed myself with the things I need to hear to keep going and to win the race. And so I think that's another part of positivity that uh, we can really use in our toolbox is that just because you're, somebody says something or just because your mind creates a thought doesn't make it true. And so instead of, you know, before you take the meaning like make sure you audit the source and don't be afraid to speak to yourself, tell yourself the things that you need to hear. It's because I think the best performers, they're not only their biggest critics when they need to be, but they're also their biggest fans when they need it most. And so don't be afraid to be your own mic and to, to feed yourself with the things that you really need to hear when maybe you're not getting it elsewhere. I love that. Um, I think I, I have just as many sticky notes as I, I've, I've had for like, you know, three hour business meetings just during our first 30 minutes together. So I appreciate that. Can I, can I pivot for a minute? Please. I, you know, I really, really wanted to ask you about this and it's because, uh, when I first learned of you and met you via your content on social media, it was almost a year and a half ago, at least a year ago, it was just pre-pandemic, and you're with the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I want to correct myself because uh, online you had the title as mental conditioning coordinator, and yet all the content I ever saw, I was like, oh, she's a mental performance coach. One of my dearest friends, Ben Newman, who is a coach oh, yeah. to me, uh-huh. and, and you know, Ben is friends with John Gordon, and that's what made me think of this. You know, Ben, Ben is one of my close friends and I'm like, no, Ben's a mental toughness coach. Like that's his deal. He, you know, he, he, uh, he does that at a level of excellence, I believe. Uh-huh. When did you know that Lauren Johnson and company was a part of the book you were writing for your life? Oof. When did you realize that? You know, it's so interesting. You asked this question. I think I knew it before I was willing to admit it. I, let me say, let me just add this comment. The reason I asked this and why I was so obsessed about asking you this is I was thinking about how it's the New York Yankees, right? I mean, like in my mind, without having met you, I was like, she does this for the New York Yankees. You know, how many, how many more stories are there in the high rise in the skyscraper? Not many more, but somehow you broke into a new floor. You summarized it very nicely. Um, I thought the same thing. Love it. My goal, my big time dream job was to work for a professional organization. Nonetheless, to get an opportunity with the New York Yankees and to work under some of the most incredible people in the field. Um, it was a dream. And when I got it, oh my gosh, I mean, you have no idea. I remember uh, my associate director, Chris, he called me and he goes, he tells me I got the job. And I just started saying, yes, yes, yes. And he goes, do you want to know what you're going to make? I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like I was just like, yes, I was so excited. And um, still is, is some of my favorite memories and some of the most important pieces of growth for me happened with the Yankees. Um, but something that I realized and was really hard for me to admit to myself 
was when I knew there was something more. And huh. there was another level that I hadn't accessed yet. Yeah. And it was probably about my third year that I probably knew it, but I ignored it. I was like, nope, you are just where you want to be. Remember, this was your dream. You don't need to go anywhere else. Like, why would you? And it's the comfort kind of talked me out of it. Comfort was like, uh-uh, girlfriend, you are good where you are. And it's so interesting because that voice in your head, when you ignore it, it gets louder. And it just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And, um, you know, probably about halfway through the pandemic is when I finally started listening. What, what do you think was the moment though? I mean, so we're in the pandemic. I, 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 my impression has been from uh, just staying as, as intimately close with the people I know well uh, during what I think is a difficult time. I think this is a great time to, to over communicate and over reach out and over like, Hey, I'm just thinking about you. How are you? Right. Because yeah. we don't get to see each other, but when, when in the pandemic, because I see a lot of successful people making pivots when in the pandemic did you say, done, it's, I'm going to make this pivot? It's so interesting. I don't know if I can identify a moment. Okay. But I do remember the moment I admitted it. And I told my husband, I was like, I think I have to go off on my own. And he was like, you know, really, like, talk to me about it. And I started talking to him and he was just like, let's do it. Like, I love it. You know, he, I, he's my husband's my biggest supporter. And yeah, but I, I remember when I finally said it out loud, I was like emotional about it. Like I was not okay at first. I was like, wait a second. So what does this mean? And, you know, and I think that's why I held off for so long. And I think what really helped me take the leap was reconnecting to my why and my purpose. Talk about that. Please, you know, I, I'm at. Yes, yes. When <laughs> I was a, you know, everything kind of started towards mental performance when I was a senior, third game into my senior year, I received my fifth concussion. And I had just come back from a really bad concussion. Like it took me out for pretty much a year. I had post-concussion syndrome for like two and a half years. It was, it was rough. And um, I finally got the chance to come back. And man, how great. Senior year, come back. Like we're good to go. And third game in, I got one off of just heading a ball, which is really dangerous. And I came off the field and my neurologist pretty much told me, Lauren, if you want to remember your name at 50, I don't suggest you complete, continue playing. And it was such a hard reality and it hit me and my whole, I had this whole identity change and all of this and like everything. I was like, I was an athlete. I was a soccer player. I was going to play overseas. And suddenly like, yeah. who am I? And I think that kind of all of this happened when all this happened, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I was still part of my team. Thank goodness. My team was like, my coach was like, I want you to be at every game. You know, it was awesome. So still like a part of the team, but I just had a different role. My role was on the bench. And so I decided to take an elective course in sports psychology. I had never heard of it up until this point. Took an elective course and I just saw myself in every story I read. I saw myself in every tool and I started to think, what kind of a player would you have been if you would have known these things? Mm -hmm. Who would you, how would you have shown up? How different would it have looked? How many less fights with yourself would you have had? And that's when I made the choice is not only was it helpful when I understood these things because it helped me heal from all these unknowns that I didn't even know I needed to heal from and to improve in. But then it also put me on this path to say, I don't, I want to help every person. So they don't have to ask that question. Who would I have been? They can say, I showed up as my best and I'm so proud of that. And there's nothing I regret that I was so proud of myself for going out there, even if that means I failed. And so for me, when I was thinking about all of this comfort, it was helpful to remember all the people I wanted to impact because it wasn't for me anymore. 
it was for so many others. And that, sorry, I kind of get choked up talking about this because it's seriously what drives me to do what I do. I, I, I love it. Did you, um, well, I, I often think about how when we were younger as children, we had a lot of these childhood dreams. And I, and I always chuckle, you know, mine were, you know, I, I want to play middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears, like Mike Singletary did, like Junior Seau did for a different team. And that's, you know, I want, that's what I want to be. Then I'm like, well, but that might not be possible. So then I want to be a successful business owner. And if that's not possible, I want to be Batman. And those are my th- three dreams. <laughs> and uh, so the, the the verdict is out on one and two. The jury is deliberating on number, or one and three, jury's deliberating on number two. Was, was doing this at a high level, working for yourself, um, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a subject matter expert. I think of Earl Nightingale, right? You put in an extra hour every night for five years and all of a sudden you're in the top 1% of 1% in the world in that expertise. Did you have this vision for yourself at a young age? Yeah. Um, And you know, I've kind of always had that vision of wanting to be the best in whatever I do. And part of it was a healthy thing and part of it wasn't. And I learned that through a lot of my studies that a lot of people who are high achievers, um, they fall into this category where they're chasing achievement because our yes. worth is attached to it. And every time we achieve, that means we're worthy. And I fell into that category. And something I learned was that if your worth is, is tied to your outcomes, it will always be temporary. And I had temporary worthiness all through college. When I was playing well, I was worthy. When I wasn't playing well, I was no longer worthy. And it drove me to work really hard. And so part of it was good, but part of it was completely wrong. And so I think that when I started to learn these different patterns and these different ways of thinking, and I started to like think of like, what a gift to be able to give that to somebody else. Because when I work with athletes, I want to help them to become their best. Sometimes that's going to mean they're going to go to the bigs. They're going to become MVPs. They're going to be all-stars. Sometimes that's what it's going to result in. And other times it won't, but that's okay. You're still your best version of you. And I believe that when you're happy and you're living into your best and you're constantly striving to be the best version of you, whatever that looks like, like there's nothing better than that. And it doesn't matter if you're playing in the major leagues. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Sometimes it means being the best dad that day. Sometimes it means being the best coworker, the best friend, the best fill in the blank. And to me, that's what life is. Life is being your best and being fulfilled and knowing that you are enough in living into that. And so I, I think that because I, like, I fell in love with this field because I was the one who needed it. I was the one that needed mental performance more than anybody else. And when I was questioning whether or not to take this leap, um, that's what I had to remind myself of is why I was doing it. And I wasn't doing it for comfort because it really wasn't about me. I was I'm doing it for, so nobody else felt the way that I felt when at the end of my career, I thought to myself, who would I have been? Because it took me so long to learn. And so it's my goal to be able to arm people with such incredible tools so they can show up as the best version of themselves regardless of circumstance. Yeah, see, and, and, and so everything you say just really resonates with me. And I think a lot about how um, at the age of 43, I'm still consistently reminded that our current reality and my current reality is a reflection of the people I surround myself with and the people that I allow to have the volume on 10 mm-hmm. instead of two in my head. Right. And, and, and I'm like, why, 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 why are we a society that understands uh, 
respects and appreciates the significant impact and influence that a teacher has on us at three, four, five, six, seven, eight through high school, through college. And then somehow then we get out in the real world. We have a whole new set of responsibilities, demands, and accountability metrics. And now we're like, I don't need a coach. I don't need a mentor. I don't need a therapist. (laughs) Right? Like why? I mean, it's like, why is our society that way? And I think it's so healthy to keep those sorts of relationships throughout your life. And, you know, it took, it took me decades of, of falling on my face and it took uh, Samantha, my wife's incredible influence on me to say like, no, you like now more than ever, because you have children, because you're the head of a significant firm, because you, you want to be a, a man of substance, you need those influences now more than ever. I, I, I really, really appreciate, you know, the, the, the fact that you had the confidence and the courage to go out on your own, to provide these sorts of services and support for people like myself. Where is Lauren Johnson and company going over the next five years? Oof, that's, you know what? Every day it changes. And in like the best way, I should say, um, I am having so, I'm having so much fun. Uh, like the, my creative freedom. Like I have so many fun projects, like on the, like, you know, on the horizon that, yeah. um, I, I have an idea, but as you know, it doesn't always work out the way we have planned. So, okay. I, um, like bamboo, I like to be sturdy in my values, but flexible in my ways. And so I, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I'm not entirely sure, but I will tell you that my goal is to be able to reach as many people as possible. And so right now, my very next thing that you will be seeing that is going to be dropping on May 5th is my newsletter where you can get my midweek mindset video sent directly to your inbox, plus some extra stuff. And then I just want to keep growing from there with different things, you know, different courses, different, um, you know, I'm working on a book, you know, different, all different kinds of things that can help bring these principles to life. Because I think a lot of people, um, like add to your point that are saying, you know, I'm, we're afraid to have coaches. We're afraid to have this. I, I think the biggest thing that gets in the way. And I, again, speaking for myself is ego. Yes. Is when we believe like, oh, we know it, like yes. that for it's, it's, it's our ego that's limiting us from getting the help for asking for help, but let's look at some of the best performers in the world. Let's look at Tom Brady. Do you know how many people he has around him? He has like double digits of coaches around him and not just the ones that are provided to him. He hires coaches for, for eating, for sleeping, for all, everything you can think of to maximize because he knows he can't possibly be a master in every single area. And so what it does is it helps him focus on that area he wants to achieve mastery in. And so I think like I have a coach, I have two. Um, uh, There's a lot of people that have coaches. I would have more if I could afford it, but I'm like, you know, one at a time, we'll see here. But I I think that it's so important because, uh, you know, like cars, we all have those blind spots. And it's those, those areas of like, you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of time it's the difference between, and I heard this this morning, um, John Gordon's Power Positive Summit, uh, day one, Miles McPherson just lighting it up. And so I'm listening to him. And one of the things he said was that the, everybody has blind spots and that it's the gap between our intent and our impact. That we may intend to say something that's funny and our impact may be hurtful. We may intend to help and we are actually hurting, hurting somebody. And so there's these different areas. And I think our blind spots in terms of coaching is so important because not only does it help us breed awareness in ourselves and you can't change anything if there's no awareness. And then two, I think it also uh, brings us, makes us present to maybe things that we weren't willing to see before. That's, um, so I love it. I love the newsletter. I think any, 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 any form of automated, consistent investment deposits in humanity is powerful, right? Where can people sign up for it? And, and are they, are they able, you know, let me not make that assumption. Can people sign up for it? And if so, where? 
Yes. So anybody can sign up for it. It's at laurenjohnsonandco.com and all my social media is on there too. So it's all linked because I have a very common name, Lauren Nicole Johnson, that all my handles are different. So it would take me hours to sit here and tell you all of them. So my website's the easiest, laurenjohnsonandco.com, where you can connect to all of those and my newsletter. Like I said, it will be dropping the first one, May 5th, and it'll be every Wednesday. You'll get that, uh, the midweek mindset video sent directly to your inbox. Plus, I'm calling it a three plus. You're getting three additional things, one of each, and you will see what those are when it drops. I love it. It's been, it's been an absolute just delight and privilege and just real treat. I mean, I said it to you, you know, we've shared your profile with my family and, and having an Ava who's 13 plays center back, uh, just a superstar. I think she's, she, she just has an incredible future, not in sports, just in life. Right. Uh, I really thankful, uh, for the time that you invested with us today. And if there was one quick shout out that you'd want to make to just someone, just someone important, someone that was a part of, of this transition that you've made. I just think it's incredible that you've got on your own and I'm so happy to see it. I'm definitely one of your biggest fans. Who would you give a quick shout out to? Thank you. I would, I, I love this shout out. Uh, I, there's two people Please. you mentioned um, throughout this, which is Justin Sua. He was actually my first mentor in sports psychology back in 2013, has since become a friend. And he's also the, uh, the head of the temp or the director of mental performance for the Tampa Bay Rays. And then Love my it. good friend, Brian Miles, who is the uh, mental performance coach for the Cleveland Indians, who is also incredible. Like talk about just amazing human beings. There's so many more, but of those course. I especially want to shout out to. That's awesome. It was absolutely wonderful to be with you. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Lauren. You are going to absolutely crush it. This new newsletter is going to be incredible. We can't wait for the book to drop. When the book drops, you're going to come back and speak to our firm of three, 400 people in the state of Michigan. And, and, and at some point when everything slows down, we hope you can come out and visit in person. I would love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Cheers. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Our goal is to bring value to as many people as possible with these conversations. And we need your help to grow the podcast. Please leave a